So if you would for a moment, picture that it's the spring of 1865. The war between the states has just been concluded, as they say. And the people, the people of Charleston, South Carolina, are faced with a problem. Right in the midst of their town is what used to be an old horse racing track, and it is the site of an internment camp for uh, Union soldiers and, uh, and actually the site of a mass grave of Union soldiers as well. What to do? The town is pretty evenly divided, if you think about it. Many people are still feeling kind of the shame and the upset of losing a war. Other people are feeling freedom for the first time because it represented the abolition of slavery. Scarcely a week after the end of the war, a group of several hundred people, mostly African Americans, gathered together at the site of this mass grave, reburied everyone, giving them their individual headstones where possible, engraving the headstone with the name of the soldier really creating a beautiful cemetery over what was a, initially an internment camp and then, then later a graveyard. Landscaping, really it was turned into a site of, of physical beauty. And on May 1st of 1865, 10,000 residents, mostly African-American, mostly black residents, but including 2,800 children and other people, proceeded to the location for sermons, singing, a picnic on the grounds, and thus created, creating the very first Memorial Day. Now, Memorial Day, of course, has changed over the years, even the date of it. Uh, initially, uh, May 1st, then later it was, oh, let's see here. Wikipedia is a wonderful thing. Then later, May 5th, and then finally May 30th. And actually, uh, even the reason for the change in dates was interesting. Um, initially, it was, uh, it was chosen for a date when uh, a battle was won. And when it finally got to Congress to make this an official U.S. history uh, holiday later that same year, they decided no... It should be a date when there wasn't a battle, when there wasn't a conclusion of any struggle, really a day that represented a sort of lasting peace. And so that was why it changed twice. They actually had some trouble. I mean, the Civil War went on for some time, and, uh, and they had some trouble actually finding a date where there had been no conflict uh, you know, to represent this day of, of peace for all. And of course, since then, Memorial Day, you know, we've moved it to, to now be a, a convenient Monday holiday. And, uh, and, and I think it has come to symbolize more than just uh, perhaps um, struggling in the armed services. I mean, between it and Veterans Day, I would say now that Memorial Day represents more than just people struggling or prevailing in terms of military service, um, although it still does mean that as well. But it's also a day, I would suggest, just a day of remembering. It's a day when uh, we can choose, if we want, to remember the people that have gone on before us, family members, uh, people who were in the military, uh, people who have just preceded us on, on, uh, on this campaign that we call life and, and are sort of the way showers in a, in a very uh, amazing sense. 
And so today, I wanted to talk a little bit about this process of remembering. And, and it reminds me one time someone, actually, the context was in, tor- in terms of holidays in general for religious science. But, but in particular, I remembered they picked out Memorial Day and Veterans Day. You know, why, as religious scientists, would we study or, or celebrate a holiday? Well, first of all, about the past. Because often in the science of mind, we think, well, you know, we're here for the present moment. We're here as co-creators with God for today and for the future. You know, we're not being defined by the past. We're not uh, being someone who looks towards the past to predict our future, right? And I want to say, well, that's true and that's not true. Certainly, I believe that our past does not predict our future. Our, our past does not need to define who we are or what's going to come. Absolutely not. That's one of our fundamental teachings. But I also know that the past is a huge part in our own sense of who we are. If it were not for our past, none of us would be where we are doing what we are doing. You know, in, in a sense... Um, We are made up of a stream of days and people and events that have preceded us. And then comes the choice, choice point. Given all that, we accept our lives as we are, right? As we have blossomed and come forth, we accept that and then we're ready to move on. But if it hadn't been for what has come first, we would not be in such a position to be making good choices. And it is part of that remembering of the people and places in the past, I think, that are important to our own evolution. All right, so Memorial Day, remembering people from the past. I would suggest that we can kind of look at this in three ways. The first way would be it's a time of remembrance and gratitude for those who have simply gone before, the people who have made their transition in, in service, you might think. And, and whether it's great inventors, whether it's uh, like the people uh, remembering the Civil War and the, especially the African Americans you know, in celebration of this struggle that produced freedom for them, um, or at least allowed that over the coming years to be a reality. You know, this is really where we're standing, if you will, on the shoulders of the people that have gone before. So much of what we owe our lives to, you know, we haven't created ourselves. The freedoms that we experience, the standard of living that that we've come accustomed to, the, um, you know, the the things that make us and keep us safe, the things that allow us to earn a living. So much of this is dependent upon the people that have come before us, people that we've not even met before, people that we've maybe only read in history books. So there is an area for remembrance and gratitude. Another one, though, is a little closer to home, and here is where we remember our own friends and our own family who have made a transition. And, and you know, I was thinking about it, how much we owe to our families for everything that we know about life. You know, scientists have done a study, and I I was, well, scientists study everything, I guess. Is there anything on this planet that scientists haven't studied yet? But an interesting one that I ran across the other day said that our brains are 90% full of information by the time, well, well, okay, let me reframe this. I mean, there's a part of our brain that we never fill up, (laughs) right? I mean, our brains are generally at 70% capacity. For some people, maybe 80% capacity. But of that 80% that we're using, or 70% of it, we fill it up mostly to capacity by the time we're 7, 8, or 9 years old. Did you know that? 
And so virtually everything that we know to be true about... Now, we add a lot of facts to it. I mean, we go off to school, right? Uh, I'm not suggesting that we don't add to it. But a huge percentage of our brain we fill up in childhood. And who are the people that help us to create those memories and thoughts and beliefs and ideas? Of course, it is our family. Our families are responsible for teaching us about what's dangerous, what's fun, what's useful or not. Our families are here to help us learn how to eat and dress and play and speak and walk and do all of the things that we need to do to be successful in the world. We learn how to have a certain level of success in communication and social skills and and things that are so fundamental to us being out in the world that we don't even think of them as a thing, right? They are so fundamental to us, like like just how how to have a conversation and trade ideas. If we did not have those things, we would not even be what we think of as human beings in the world today. And we owe that to our, to our parents and our families. Now, I'm not suggesting that it, it's a completely uh, uh, pleasant experience <laughs> always. And certainly in religious science, the cool thing is, yes, we can say we have learned all that we have learned, and now we can choose to relearn and amend that, right? We can take steps above what we learned in childhood. But I, for one, am really glad that I don't, didn't have to teach myself how to walk, that there was someone there to catch me, uh, you know, that I didn't have to wait until I went off to college to learn how to speak and things like that. So there is the remembering of our own parents and families for what they contribute, as well as just the love. Think of, for most of us, the love that we received in early childhood um, from our close family members. In my own life, too, in terms of just education about how the world works, I think of my, both of my sets of grandparents. I was, I was very lucky to have been uh, born and raised here on the Oregon coast in Newport, Oregon, and both sets of grandparents literally were within walking distance of our house. And so my entire childhood, you know, I had both sets of grandparents available to me. And really what I learn and hold dear on, uh, to this very day about relationships I learned from my two sets of grandparents. Both of them were married uh, for over 50 years. Both sets had, had uh, spans of time together, over 50 years. And one set of grandparents, you wondered why they were living together at all. <laughs> Have you ever seen a relationship where one person will, will state something and immediately the partner will, will contradict it? I mean, without even thinking about it, one person will say, wow, isn't breakfast good today? And the other person will say, well, if you like your eggs that way. And, and that was the kind of relationship that one set of my grandparents had. If they were not actively fighting, they were passively fighting. <laughs> Contrast that with my other set of grandparents that were the very definition of long-term and committed love. They ran a a seaside uh, chain of cabins together, and so there was always work going on. And yet, and yet, nearly every time I was visiting them as a child, there would be small signs of the love between those two people. My grandfather, among other, among taking care of, of of a small chain of cabins, he was also a woodworker, and it seemed like you know within every few months there would be some small wooden object, you know, a set of bowls or some candlesticks that he would make for grandma, surely out of love. And likewise, grandma was always looking up special recipes to please him and do things, you know, that just for him alone in a special and meaningful way. 
Now, these are the kind of lessons, and I take both of these lessons from both sets of grandparents really to heart. These are what taught me about relationships. They taught me that I had choices. They taught me that I had to be very careful about who I chose <laughs> to be a life partner. <laughs> and they taught me how both to get along and not to get along. These are the kinds of things, and whether, whether you want to think of it as a positive example or a negative example, this is how we learn about the world. And this is a tremendous remembrance and gratitude that we can have for our family situations. They literally are the people that got us here at least in as good a shape as we are today. And then we can make choices that will get us in even a better shape. Finally, though, I want to expand this circle a little bit. Now, and in fact, here I ran into a little trouble of even thinking how this was different than family. Because as we go on in life, do we not begin to collect people around us that are not blood relations and yet are absolutely as close, as important, as loving, as sweet, as friendly as the people that we were, whose family we were born into? And you can call it our friends. I even think of it more like an extended family, though. Because as life goes on, these are the people that stick with us through thick and thin. These are the people that maybe are lifetime friends, sometimes even just members, uh, uh, neighbors, sometimes even just pets, right? I'm talking about things that don't even have to be human, and yet they are as close often as the beating of our own heart and the thoughts of love and peace in our own minds. All of these people, all three categories, if you will, of these people, are worthy of the love and remembrance that we have for them. And on Memorial Day this year, I wanted to do something a little special. This actually is uh, May 30th, that, that original, um, well, the original minus one of the dates that was actually selected for Memorial Day. And I wanted to do this, um, uh, something a little special for you all, to help you perhaps in your own quest for remembering and loving the people that were important to you. So we're going to have a little bit of a ritual here. I'm going to position the uh, microphone so that you all can have easy access to it. Our musicians are going to play a lovely remembering chant in the background. And what I'd like you simply to do, um, you'll notice we kind of have two aisles here, one aisle here and one aisle here. And I'm thinking if you, as you feel called, could, could begin kind of lining up and coming down to this aisle, we have um, some candles here. The candles would simply represent your, your light of truth, if you will, your remembering of the people that are important to you in your life that maybe have already made that transition onto whatever comes next. So you can light a candle that represents your love, your remembering, your honoring of maybe parents that have passed on, maybe someone, uh, you know, not even someone that you knew, but maybe someone, historical figure that is important to you, or maybe a friend who has made their transition. And then on your way out again, using the other aisle, simply if you would step up to the microphone just, uh, just briefly and say something like, I am remembering my mother, Jean Marie King Burnett. So that's our plan for today. It's simply a time of you to acknowledge the loved ones, perhaps that are no longer with us.
Howard and Eleanor Teeter, my younger brother John. I am remembering my birth mother, Dorothy Dotson Patrick. Errors. My eldest sister, Helen Horn Stymans, my father, Henry Tuwili Horn III, and my mother, Catherine DeLay Horn Day. Remembering my father and mother, Edna Lawson and Stuart Lawson. I'm remembering my father, Art Peterson, and my husband, Dick Arnold. Remembering my grandparents, James Often Halliday, and more recently my grandmother, Anna Mae Halliday. 
I'm remembering my foster mother who just passed this last week, Helen Young. grandparents Richard and Irma and Byron and I am here to honor my mother Gail Irma Broadhead Stebbins I'm remembering my father Harold Raymond Thomas and my grandma Hazel Baker Gail Hall, Melvin Lee, and Preston Murphy. I'm remembering my parents, Dorothy Jean Herringer Fritzen and Billy Dean Fritzen. Peggy Woodard Fakely and my Aunt Tessie. Remembering and honoring my father, Jack Lee Johnson, who died just three years ago. of the Portland Center for Spiritual Living, we also honor our longtime congregant and friend Pat Graves, who made her transition earlier this year.
remembering and honoring my grandmother. Uh, she just passed, Barbara Ann Rouse Barnes, and my baby brother, Kyle Benjamin Barnes. In 10 Ideas That Make a Difference, Ernest Holmes said, How impossible it is for us to believe that those whom we have loved and who have passed away are really dead. We not, do not think of them as dead at all. We think of them as living somewhere else, still conscious of themselves, still casting back occasional glances on our experience, and perhaps, perhaps waiting for that time when we too shall join them. This is not only a hope, but it is a conviction in everyone's soul. We all feel this sense of immortality and connection to those that we love. We intuitively believe in the immortality of the soul. We believe it because things would simply lack meaning, purpose, and intelligence without it. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe. It is this thing called life. And yes, yes, life is that eternality of being that is the promise of God itself. There is God and only God through all time, through all ages, through all people. It is that nature of love. It is that nature of remembering the sweet, sweet necessities of life. It is that remembering of who we are as the choices we make make, and also the people that we have loved. And as this is general in nature, I know that it means me, I know that it means each person in this room, I know that it means each person on this planet as we use this simple day of remembering who we are, even as we are made up of the love of all of the people that have gone before and I'm simply grateful for this, simply grateful to be part of this thing that we call life itself, grateful to be part of the, the love of God. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you very much. Thank you.